Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff After Hours, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, and with me today, I have an unbelievable cast of characters. I I have Brooklyn's own Phil Grimaldi as my co-host today, retired detective out of the Intelligence Division. And whatever I say Intelligence Division, in connection with the police department, I want to make a joke out of it. But, oxymoron. Uh, oxymoron. But he also worked in the 6-0 squad. And he's a hell of a guy. He's a funny guy. He's a great co-host. And on our show tonight, oh my God, I, I think I don't know when they got married. These two, but it's Joe Pistone, aka Donnie Brasco, and Bob Starkman, a retired customs enforcement agent who also happens to be a Hall of Fame junior college basketball coach. But before I go into the show, guys, I just want to do a quick shout out. Uh, on the on the uh, the picture today is uh, Cornelius Douglas. Cornelius Douglas, what a what an amazing name that is, right? And it's befitting because he was an amazing, amazing guy. He retired after thirty five years years with the NYPD, and you know he didn't get to enjoy his pension or you know taking it easy for a while. He actually died two two weeks after he retired. How horrendous, right? But Dougie was a, was the salt of the earth. I never ever heard anyone say a bad uh, a word about Dougie because no one had a bad word to say about him. I joked to my wife. I said, man, if I die, you know, not everyone loves me. I go, I'm an acquired taste, you know. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of people that don't like me. But I never heard a single person say uh, anything bad about Dougie. And, you know, and he worked in a very dangerous job. He worked in fugitive enforcement. But I just want to, uh, Dougie, you're a hell of a guy. May you rest in peace. And I'm sure everyone that ever met you loved you, buddy. We'll meet again someday. All right, guys. On a on a better note right now, look at these two guests I have. No, the guy on the right is not a sunglass salesman. He happens <laughs> to be, although he's got more different types of sunglasses than anyone I've ever met. It's Joe Pistone, the infamous, the famous, most famous undercover agent the FBI ever had. Welcome to the show, Joe. Well, thanks for that great introduction. It's my pleasure, but uh, I don't know about being famous, but uh, I did a lot of undercover work. You sure did. And, and the guy next to you, Bob Starkman, I have his book here. I just, you know, inside both courts. And I'm just going to quickly read your, you wrote the, um, you wrote the forward. And I'm, this was for Joe Pistone talking about Bob Starkman. I was giving a lecture on undercover techniques to U.S. customs agents. During a coffee break, a six-foot-five agent says to me, I thought you were much bigger. I reply, glad to fucking meet you, too. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so that's how you two met, huh? That's it. That was over, my God, over 25 years ago, I guess. And wow. all, yeah, probably in 90. 92? 90. 90. Yeah, yeah. But I did say... You look a lot bigger in the book. That's what I did say, and that's what oh, I. Oh, okay. In the book, you don't <laughs> like, want to. You don't want to insult the great Joe Pistone. Yeah. No, the, the man of a thousand <laughs> pairs of sunglasses. Uh, being six five, you know, and me being six foot, he's got five inches on me and about a pounds. So, Joe, when you yeah. talk about teaching how to be an undercover, all right, which obviously you wrote the book on that. Tell us how some of the things you teach to, to new jacks about becoming an undercover. Well, the first thing I tell them is I can't make you an undercover. Uh, to be a good undercover or to be an undercover, you know, it's like it's like that ex, extra sense. You either have it or you don't have it. What we can do is we can hone your skills. We can tell you how to uh, uh, infiltrate. We can tell you how to, to stay alive. Uh one of the main one of the one of the main things I I I, I tell the students and uh, not only do I teach uh, in the states but I do a lot of uh, undercover teaching overseas and uh, one of the things I I, I tell them is uh, you have to know your enemy you've got to study your enemy and I I advise them to uh, read the art of war. Uh, and it, it, it tells you how, how you will defeat your enemy. And the only way you defeat your enemy is knowing your enemy. 
and I tell them, I don't care if, you know, your, 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 your supervisor or boss tells you, you know, an informant's going to take you on a, on a one-time meet and you're going to buy some dope or you're going to buy whatever you're going to buy and then we're going to arrest the guy. Don't go out there with knowing everything about who that subject is because you never know what's going to lead in, in the conversation. Uh, you want to know if, if the guy is violent, has he been arrested for violent crimes? Does he usually carry a gun? Uh, you want to know everything about him uh, because you never know in that conversation where it's going to go. You might come up with information that's going to lead you to another meet with this guy. Uh, you, you might you you might say something that triggers him. Uh, so the main thing is know your enemy. Uh, that's the main thing I tell them is you have to know your enemy. Uh, and then from there, you know, we could teach you uh, how to, how to uh, infiltrate a, a group, uh, how to carry on conversations, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, be yourself. Don't, don't try to take on another personality. That's another thing I tell them. You have to be yourself because street guys are great bullshit detectors. They can, de they can detect bullshit. Uh, and you can't be personality A and then personality B if you're not really personality A. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> and th that, that's the problem. A lot of the young undercovers, you know, <laughs> look, like I said, I teach all over the world. And they all watch television. And it's amazing. They believe this stuff that they see on TV, how cops act uh, in an undercover uh, capacity. Um, give you an example. Um, in, in the scenarios, we do scenarios or real life scenarios. Uh, take them into bars, take them here. And you see, they'll sit there and drink and drink. And, you know, and uh, after a while, I tell them, are you normally a drinker? No. Well, why are you drinking? Well, because I'm out, you know, I'm out in the bar with, and I know that there's, you know, bad guys in here. And I tell them, you think all bad guys drink? All bad guys don't drink. You think all bad guys do drugs? I mean, I hung around with a guy that, that I know he had close to 20 hits. His drink of choice was club soda. And I was in bar fights with this guy and, and saw shit that he could do. The guy was not a drinker. I never drank. I mean, you know, my ex... Brother Joe, I remember the last time you told me you drink a half a bottle of beer. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. My ex <laughs> is a half a bottle of beer or or a glass of wine. Right. And, it's hard to fall out of character if you're just being yourself, too. I think that that's tremendous advice, Joe. I mean... That's, that's exactly right. And, yeah. You know... Uh, so you don't have to keep making up, you know right. what I'm saying? You're who you are and that's, that's it. That's it. That's a, that's great advice. And I think that what you're saying applies to not only your enemy, sometimes with, uh, like bosses and stuff like that, or just friends, when you know people long enough, you kind of like, if you want to play a trick on them, you know how they're going to react. You know what I'm trying to say? So just knowing that person, I think that that's fantastic advice, especially in an undercover assignment study them, know them, and know what they might do in a certain situation so you'll know how to react if something does arise, you know? Exactly. And and we, we may have talked about this before, uh, but uh, knowing your enemy, and especially if, if you're going to try to infiltrate a uh, an organized crime, syndicate organized crime group, you know, you want to know if there's a pecking order you want to know uh, what 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 the requirements are to get into that in, into that group. You want to know if they are violent. Do they pack on a daily basis? Uh, do they have rules and regulations? And and every you know every organized crime group. I don't care cartels. Everybody has rules for their for their uh, for their members. Uh, example with the mafia. They they got rules. I was sat down and told them when they, you know, when they accepted me, you know, uh, I knew them before I went in. How did I know them? I knew them from, from informants. I knew them from, you know, talking to uh, uh, guys that had worked the mafia. Uh, 
I knew him from just <laughs> growing up, actually. Uh, and two very important rules. Uh, if you're an undercover and you're going to infiltrate the mafia, uh, and these rules will get you killed. And you're going to get into confrontations. That's number one. Uh, because everybody doesn't like everybody. Uh, not because they think you're an undercover cop, undercover agent. You know, everybody just doesn't like everybody. Uh, one of the rules in, in, in the mafia is if you get into an argument with a made guy, you can't insult him in front of other people. You cannot insult him in front of other people. And if you do, he's got the right, you know, he's got the right to, to a sit down to have you killed. I knew that you couldn't lay your hands on a made guy, but the insult, I really wasn't yeah. uh, up to date on that. Even that could get you killed. That could get you killed. And then, uh, you know, and then, th then you go to laying your hands on a made guy. If we're in a verbal confrontation, you know, uh, <clears throat> eventually, depends on how much the guy doesn't like you, the guy gives you a slap. You can't hit him back. You can't, but you have to maintain your respect and credibility. So you, 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 you have got to keep the, you know, the oral confrontation going. But if you hit him, you put your hands on him, you're dead. And if somebody, if somebody gives you a smack, what are you going to do? Your, your reaction, your, your first reaction is to lay him out. Yeah. Your instincts kick in. Yeah. I mean, so, you you have got to know everything about that enemy uh, in order to infiltrate, ingratiate yourself, and basically to stay alive. You know, Joe, I mentioned the last time you were on the show about we all learn these like or have these physical attributes that I call them copisms. You know, and we have body language that we learn from being a cop and things that we do, for instance, going into a restaurant always making sure you have a view of the door. Do wise guys do that too? Yeah, sure they do. Yeah, sure. So they don't want to put their back to the door either. No, right? they, 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 or if they do, they have, you know, they have one of their guys making sure that their, their back is covered. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, and that's what, you know, we all do that. Right. I mean, even today you go into a restaurant, you know where you want to sit. <laughs> and I've uh, retired 18 years and, if I come to the restaurant, I'm parking the car or whatever, and I whoever's sitting where I got to sit, I'm, you got to get up, you know. I mean, even with friends, I do that. Yeah. And they're like, oh, it's a cop thing. He's got to sit. You know, he's got to be facing yeah. the door. Yeah. It's just instinct at this point, you know, after so many years, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like muscle memory, right? Yes. Yeah, 100%. Yes. Bob Starkman, how uh, did you use these lessons taught to you by the master of disaster, Joe Pistone? How did you use them in your career as a customs agent? Well, first of all, I tell everybody, being 6'5 and Jewish, you're not working undercover with the Columbians <laughs> and the others in Miami. So I actually didn't, prior to coming to Miami, I was on an undercover operation. But in Florida, I actually, I worked in Operation Greenback, which was the money laundering group. And we had an undercover operation. I was more of a manager. But still, as a manager, you still have to maintain, you know, your informants, your undercovers, and your whole, you know, scenario that you set. So to me... You know, uh, I always tell people prior law enforcement as a city and a state correction officer really taught me a lot about body language, taught me about just, you know, even talking the lingo reactions. So all of that helped and kind of, you know, going to the undercover school just taught me about the basic, you know, how to do it right. So, you know, I'm still part of it, even though I'm not the guy undercover, you know, you like you're like the director of a movie and you have to make sure it's run right. And there was a lot of things I learned. You know, like you said, we I remember we, uh, we probably joke about it now. We had to do a scenario on how would you smuggle. So mine was, you know, I worked in a bagel store when I was going to college. I told them on my night route, that was the best thing. Like if I was the delivery guy, you know, you have all the different bagels in there and it's in the middle of the night, you're making deliveries to the store, best place to conceal it. Even if a door came in, he'll probably get blitzed by the garlic and the onions, you know, just <laughs> so, you know, just being able to think like, you know, like you say, out of the box, you know? So I, I think it was just more, you know, it was a, an informal and a formal training for me. But I also say, you know, my prior law enforcement growing up, I think that really helped me to, you know, formulate, to run something right.
You know, Bob, one of the things uh, that I, I learned, and I, I worked six and a half years in anti-crime, uh, citywide anti-crime, precinct anti-crime, and you spend hours and hours and hours and hours just watching people on the street and watching what they do. And sometimes it's the body language that triggers you, wait, these guys are going to do that lady. You can just you can just see it before it even happens. And then we, we would set our surveillance uh, and we'd actually, I, I can't tell you how many robberies I watched go down. And then we made the apprehension, you know, shortly after. Because we weren't out there as prevention. We were out there to make the arrest and put the real bad guys away. And I, I could see Phillies dying to, dying to chime in here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because it's so true what you're saying. I was in anti-crime as well. I did uh, about four years between anti-crime and rep four or five years. And we'd be on the street and, you know, you knew who your players were. And maybe you didn't know every individual, but you would see they would just walk a certain way or act a certain way, and you knew they were up to no good. I mean, we were driving down Flatbush Avenue one time, and I just happened to notice, it was a, like a snowy night, and I happened to notice these kids suddenly stopped in front of a store, and it was, you know, late, 10, 11 o'clock at night, and sure enough, we swung around, we got the binoculars out, we kept an eye on them, and little by little, they lifted up the gate, one guy slipped under, and we made a nice burglary collar with four or five bodies, you know? Yeah, it's, so it, yeah, I guess you you got to know your area. It's like knowing your enemy, like uh, Joe was saying. And uh, being an anti-crime, like you said, uh, Bill, we're not, you know, uniform presence is to prevent, but anti-crime was to engage as it was going on or immediately after. And uh, so you got to you got to really uh, you got to know your stuff. You know, people didn't always like that, that you you actually use the public as, <laughs> as your decoys, sort of. They were. But, you know, you're not. You're not predicting. You're basing what's going to happen based on your observations. But well, I think you know, a lot of it is also your gut feeling. You know, it's like it's like I tell people I equate it to the basketball and law enforcement. I said I don't play anymore, but I could still pick up a ball. I still got a shot. You know, the other last week I worked in a basketball camp, and the director was there, and they just said I don't know. They said this guy's a cop of that. And first thing I do is I said, yeah, look at his ankle. You see his gun. It's like an instinct. You know, you right, walk right, right, right. carrying a gun or he got a bulge on his hip. They go, how do you know that? I said, well, your whole life, you look for things like that. Sure. And again, it's just like picking up a ball or throwing a, you know, a baseball. It's kind of like you never lose it, you know. And it, I think your instincts and your gut feeling is, you know, is your best weapon. Well, you know, it's just like sometimes you ever bust out and say a full sentence of cop talk and you don't even realize you did it. Yeah. yeah, I saw this guy come down the street in an RMP. I think I can see, you know, he was <laughs> he was on his last <laughs> tour. And he, was on a <laughs> and he used all cop words. You're like, oh yeah. shit, I didn't realize they did that, you know. See, yeah. Joe, yeah. Joe, that could get then. you killed, but we we got away with that shit. <laughs> Every now and then I do that. I'll see like a car accident and I'll say, ah shit, a 53 or something, which was the uh, the 10 code for a, a car accident, you know. Right, right. People are, you know, non-cops are looking like, what's this guy talking about? You know, yeah. 53, but yeah. But the uh, Paul, I gotta agree with you. The instinct, I, I say that blue runs through my veins till this day, and I'm always seem to be on the lookout for what's going on around me, you know. And and just the other day, I seen a car, and you know, back in the day when I was in anti crime, we would see a suspicious car, pull the guy over right away. And I said to my kids, I was like, Yeah, I'd be pulling that guy over. They're like, What are you talking about, Dad? I said, ah, Never mind, you know. Hey, duty run. Duty Ron gave me a five dollar super chat. He says so he doesn't get whacked. Five dollars, you should get whacked. Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll be over there in a little while. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna send. We're gonna send the boys over there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you guys, but... you guys are like regular hangout guys. You're like buddies, and I'm not even gonna say where you live because Joe's so secretive. He doesn't want anyone to know what continent he lives on. You know, in case uh, he's being followed home. Pluto, he lives in Pluto. Nah, yeah. <laughs> You're better off. I gotta, I, I gotta get out and feed my horses at, at eight o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> Low profile, way to go. Feed the dog. So, Bob, how how did you use what Joe taught you in in customs? You know, how well, did you use it? Again, you know, to me, it's like if if you know. If I was being taught by Red Holtzman, for those of you who don't remember Red Holtzman, the Knicks coach, you know, to me, he's one of the greatest ever, a red owl back. You learn things and, and you try to apply them. So learning from him, it was just little things. Now, if I'm not the undercover, you're teaching people, you know, just the fact of setting up the surveillance, you know. And, and again, I equate that to basketball. It's like a scattering report. You know, he says, know your enemy. Well, you know, in a basketball game, that's your enemy. 
we're out there. You know, we'll, we'll, we know who to look for. You know, we did a lot of what we called money pickups. And, uh, you know, we would prearrange deals and, you know, just, just learning the whole area. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he doesn't look like a happy coach in that picture. For those that are listening to this, is Bob Stockman with his left hand up yelling at somebody. I don't know who he's yelling at, but uh... probably the ref. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and you just try to take everything you learn and make it applicable for what you're doing. Bob Huggins. So, you know, you just try to, you know, you you make it work. You know, it's, everything's a scenario and, and you try, you know, like you say, you know your enemy. So we knew who the bad guys were. You want to make sure nobody's out there. You want to make sure there's no counter surveillance. And one of the biggest problems we had years ago was, you know, we, we would be doing a pickup or a surveillance and, you know, there's a DEA group out there watching it. You know, then there might be an IRS group or ATF or the local cops. And I had told you previously... That's why I created it when we were at Greenback. I brought Metro Dade, Broward Sheriffs, Coral Gables into our task force. So we had everything covered. You know, we had the Broward County covered, Dade County, Coral Gables, and, and we had a Border Patrol agent assigned. So we had everything covered. So at least, you know, you could go in with a game plan. And, you know, you Bob, know, when you talk about counter surveillance, that is so real because even in anti-crime, sometimes the bad guys will test to see if there's anti-crime out there. They'll just start running. And if you buy it and you go and you chase them, you just blew your whole cover. Yeah. No, so they'll they'll do that too. Yeah. No, I know it's they'll do anything to divert you other ways. And you know, I used to laugh a funny story. We did a case with uh some New York guys, they weren't city cops, and uh we're following, we're following this dope around. We just picked up the money, and my, my CI gets a phone call saying, Hey, I think we're being followed. She said, why? She said, because the same guy's car has been overheating from the beginning of the surveillance on one block <laughs> to the next block. And it almost sounds like, like a New York City cop car. <laughs> I wasn't a cop. I would just say it wasn't a New York City cop, but it was a city employee. And uh, it was pretty funny. And that's, again, those are the little things. Something like that could get somebody killed, you know, sure. and just screw everything up. So, again, you try to pre-plan again to me. And that's what actually my book's about, you know, basketball, crossing paths with law enforcement and vice versa. You got to go out there and put the right people in the right position. You don't want somebody on the eyeball that's going to sit there backed in like a police car. You know, the windows up, feet out. I mean, we've seen that a thousand times. You know, you have to get the right person. It's like a point guard. You know, you need your forwards, you need your centers. And, you know, that's what I, that's one of the things I learned from him. 100%. And this is, uh, folks, on the screen is uh, Bob Starkman's book, Inside Both Courts with the Forward by uh, Joseph, Joseph D. Pistone. And Joe's got a few books out too. The Way of the Wise Guy, Donnie Brasco, Donnie Brasco, aka Joe Pistone. And this was the book that everyone had at one time. I don't know what happened to mine. I, I had this years ago. I, I read it cover to cover. I think I read it twice. It was really interesting. Joe, you were jacked up back then, man. You were pumping some iron, huh? Yeah, and you know, uh, going back to what I—it's another thing I tell I tell the you know, young undercovers is that. Don't give up. Don't give up things or activities that you did. You know, like uh, I always worked out, so I went to the gym. Uh, I went to the movies. I <laughs> I love the movies, and you know, as long as you're up front with the bad guys, I mean, you know, we'd be sitting around the the club, and you know, it might be two thirty, three o'clock, and I say, oh, it's time for me to go to the gym. And I went to the gym. <laughs> Nobody cared. Or if there was a good movie playing, I'd say, hey, you know, anybody want to go? I'm going to catch a matinee. <laughs> Nobody cares. Right, right. What they care about is all of a sudden they say, you know something? Donnie doesn't do anything. All he, all he wants to do is talk about illegal activities. That's that's the trigger. That's dangerous. Yeah, that's how they right. might, they so may make you right. You've got to you've got to carry on if you no matter what you do. If you know you like to run, you like to go to the gym, you like to go to the movies. I don't care what it is. Yet you, you have to do. You, you have to be the, a whole person. And a lot of young undercovers don't do that. They well, if I talk about sports, they'll think something's wrong with me. You know, well, if I tell them I'm going to go to the movies and I say no, you know, uh, right, right. If, if 
if you're absent of doing anything, that's what the red flag goes up on. You know, that's what triggers them. Well, why doesn't he do anything else? Or, or if it's a female, why doesn't she do anything else? Uh, sure. Yeah. You can't but, be overly friendly, I guess, too. That's probably a red flag because if you're, you know, you're not doing your routine, but you're trying to stay friends or, or do what they're doing, you know, that's probably a red flag as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, look, I, I used to walk away from conversations that, you know, were very vital conversations. Uh, but I, I wasn't involved in them. So in the beginning, I just get up and walk away. And they say, Donnie, where are you going? I don't need to hear this conversation. Right. It doesn't concern me. Doesn't concern me. Then later on, they'd say, come on, sit down. Whether, you know, whether you're involved or not, doesn't make any difference. You know, you don't have to leave. Uh, so all those little things, you know, you build up. Uh, it, and that's being a real person. That's, you know, that's being... Uh, having your own personality, having your own character, having your own morals, you know, uh, you know, and like I say, you know, I, I, I never got drunk with these guys cause I never would, would finish a whole beer. And, and, and another thing too, is the first time anything comes up, you hit it head on. You don't say, well, I don't feel like drinking tonight. You know, well, what does that mean? That means you're going to drink sometime. And I just say, hey, I don't drink. I, right. can't, I, I can't drink. I can't finish a whole bottle of beer. And I grew up in bars. Believe me. I mean, I was born above a bar. I was born in, in a farmhouse above a bar. So, uh, but I never, I never took to drinking. And nobody cared. Oh, like, okay, Donnie, that's, that's all right. Yeah, no, that, that's, you, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Phil. Yeah. Joe, I was going to ask you, the, the intriguing part of your story to me was you came from, I, I read on the internet that you came from Pennsylvania and now you you got ingratiated into the New York mob. And I mean, wasn't there questions about where you're from or did somebody set you up with a back end story? Well, my back end story was I was an orphan. Yeah. Okay. And that comes again, know your enemy. Right. And what do you know about the mafia? You know, if you're dealing with Italians, they're going to want to meet your family. Yep. You know, so I mean, that, that, that's all that's all part of your background. You know, I, I grew up in an orphanage till I was like 14, 15 years old. Uh, never knew who my parents were, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so but, they don't even they don't ask you to cook either because you didn't cook in the orphanage. <laughs> I learned how to cook from Ruggiero. He was uh, <laughs> duty run. Thank you so much for that twenty dollars super chat. MMA. Thank you so much for the ten dollar. We're starting to get rich here. Hey, we have on here Joe Pistone, aka Donnie Brasco, and Bob Starkman. And I guess they become big buddies down in uh, where they live. I can't say where they live because they get a little nervous when I give you longitude and latitude. I just got to go to a quick commercial. Philly, I'll read the first one. I'm going to let you do the second one if you don't mind. No problem. Uh, folks, if you're looking to get the hell out of New York because you've had it with these politicians, <laughs> you had it with these high taxes, and you want to move down south, we got a great realtor for you down south. Her name is Carol Waters. She used to work for 20 years as a bartender at Fitzpatrick Hotel in Midtown. She's actually from Ireland. She's got the brogue and everything. Her husband, Rob Mayen, was an NYPD police officer who rolled over to FDNY. And now they basically rule the roost down in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They work for Beach Realty Group, and she's a million-dollar salesperson. So she obviously knows what she's talking about. So if you're looking to move down south to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, or you want a, a rental home or a vacation home, give Carol Waters a call. Her cell is 914 261-6681, or you can uh, send her an email, carolwaterscellsmb at gmail.com. Uh, she really knows the territory. Give her a call. I guess a lot of people have been giving her a call because she hasn't canceled this commercial in like six weeks. <laughs> Here we go. Joe Murray, attorney at law. Now, Joe, you hear about attorneys. They tell you, I know what you're going through. 
Joe really does know what you're going through. He knows both sides. He was a NYPD police officer for over 15 years. He retired. He became a lawyer. And he's a real sharp guy. You could reach Joe if you have need for an attorney at Joe Murray at jmurraylaw.com. That's Joe at jmurraylaw.com. He's out in Great Neck, but he handles cases all throughout New York. He can also be reached on his phone at 646-838-1702. 646-838-1702. Joe Murray, a great attorney, a retired cop, and a big supporter, a very big supporter of police off the cuff. A great guy, a sharp guy, a great attorney. That was pretty damn good, Phil. I tell you, you what, he's all right. You better keep him around. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a hell of a co-host, you know. Plus and I didn't know I was doing that commercial you know, either. Oh, <laughs> Plus, he hey, speaks a little Italian. He gets me out of trouble I, when I'm with the... I, I tell you what, that's a sign of a good undercover when you can, you know, when you can just riff like that, man. <laughs> Even you, Joe you Murray, know, the attorney, he's listening. He says, best attorney in town. Forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, really, he really is a sharp guy. And the reason I say it is because we were doing a podcast. We were talking about some legal stuff on a case. And I threw a couple of things at him. And boom, boom, boom. He answered them. And he like, you know, he, he showed me what he's got in the courtroom. You know, he, it was like uh, it was like a little back and forth, you know. He well, real good attorney. Can't help that he was a former police officer. Oh. Yes, yes. Well, well, being a, a police officer in the NYPD, I think that's that's acting from the day you get into the police academy, so to speak, you know? <laughs> you have to hear his story. His story is amazing. And, and I, I, I'll just give you a brief synopsis. He, he got in a fight with a detective on duty. He was a patrol officer, and he hit the guy with a left and broke his jaw and took, and took a collar. And uh, fought the case, and, and uh, he actually <laughs> did such a great uh, did such a great uh, job that the grand jury refused to indict. Is and then, right? and then after he was sued civilly, and he had no money for an attorney, so he happened he represented himself, and he beat the civil case too. The detective sued him. Yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, he beat the civil case, and I I wouldn't. It's no secret because he came on our show and. Told that yeah, story, so it's story. not like I'm telling his deep family dark secrets. He but told that so uh, some beef to get in. Well, he was on the PBA boxing team. He was a heavyweight, so he's got a nasty left. You know? oh. Yeah. Apparently, that detective didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He made the mistake of poking him in the chest. Yeah, that's, <laughs> he, didn't that was he didn't know his enemy, did he? Yeah. There you go, John. There you go. And, and now he says not only is he an attorney, but he's a violent felon, too. <laughs> yeah. got credibility. Good man, Joe Murray. That's Good right. man. That's right. He's got street creds. That's right. He's got yeah. some street creds. That's for sure. Joe, you know, one of the things that people, you know, women always want to ask me about you. They say, oh, how did he stay away from the women for six years? Because you were undercover for six years. You were married and you have three kids. Women always want to know that. I don't like to ask it because it's like guy code not to ask that shit, but I got to ask it. <laughs> well, because I, I, I always uh, came up with a story in the, right in the beginning that I, uh, <clears throat> I had a girlfriend out in California. And, uh, you know, uh, I had one girlfriend that uh, <clears throat> I was in, in love with and uh, she got killed in a car accident. Uh, and I was still, you know, I, I, I still wasn't over that. And then I met this other lady in California and, uh, uh, that, that, you know, that, that was my love, you know, uh, that was a hell of a backstory for you. And, you know, someone in the chat says, don't answer that, Joe. You got some fans in the in the live chat that try to protect yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you have to have, you know, I, I always would get a kick out of uh <clears throat> yeah, you have to like I said, you have to hit things head you have to have reasons for everything you're doing undercover, you know. Uh and and being that 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 again, you're just natural, guys bought it, you know, guys bought it. Uh and I would go out bouncing with these guys, uh, but I would never, you know, uh, I, I never got got uh, 
tied up with with, with, with anybody in New York, you know. Uh, so if, if you answer to, you know, without hemming and hawing and, uh, and just be forthright with them, uh, they buy it. I mean, these guys, you know, some of them, like I say, some of them liked to drink, some of them did it. Some of them liked women, some of them did it. I mean, I was with plenty of wise guys that, uh, you know, never, never cheated on their wives, you know. Uh, so it wasn't any, you know, as long as I had that story down, it wasn't any, any big deal for anybody. Did you come across? So I was around a lot of wise guys growing up. I came from Gravesend Avenue, and uh, I, I could agree what you say about some of the guys not cheating on their wives 100%. Because I worked in a Sala Maria, and there was a, a, a club right across the street. There was another club around the corner that was connected to the building that we were in. So there was a million wise guys around. And uh, there were some old school guys that they would never think of cheating on their wife. They had one wife from when they were in high school or whatever. And, and then there were the guys that were the players. So I guess being old school or just, you know, the story you came up with obviously worked pretty good. But, uh, yeah, there's guys that, uh, you know, a pretty girl will walk by, they'll look at them, but that's it. You know, they, they would never go any further than that. You know, they were really had some old school values. And speaking yeah. of Avenue you, there were some guys – that I think you might have rubbed elbows with because right before I got on the police department in 1980, I went to work for a school bus company and it was owned by Frankie Lino, Frank Copa, and another guy by the name of uh, Ron. I can't forget, I forget his last name, but uh, there was a bus company down in Williamsburg and uh, we used to work for those guys. And I know Frankie Lino. Was, I'm sorry. Graziano. Ron, uh, no, I think it was Philicama, Ronnie Philicama. I think he's still around. I don't know if he's uh, in or out of jail or if he's still involved in a life. But, uh, yeah, those guys on the uh, the bus company. So I worked for uh, Frankie Lino's son was actually the uh, dispatcher. And uh, that was right before I got on the police force. And I know that he's in part of the movie that they dramatized. He's one of the guys that was present when they killed the three captains, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yes, he was. Uh, those were all Bonanno guys. There was Bonanno guys, there was Colombo guys, and there was even a Lucchese guy. There was a guy by the name of Angelo Defendus, a boxer who's now passed away, but he was a Lucchese guy. Did you know Angelo? Did you rub elbows with him? No, I didn't know him. Uh, and uh, they brought in a couple guys from Canada, a couple Bonanno guys from uh, from uh, Montreal. Uh, they brought in for that hit, yeah. Okay. Optlu, thank you so much for the $10 super chat. All you folks that are new to Police Off the Cuff, please subscribe to our channel on YouTube. We're uh, very, we have a, a new website coming up uh, done by Josh, our webmaster. Uh, things are changing. We're going to actually become real famous doing this stuff. I got, I got Phil Grimaldi here from Brooklyn for the Italian people. He's going to get us a lot of Italian fans. And, uh, you know, right, that's what we're, try we're trying to recruit. When I look at our analytics, not, you know, we don't have enough Italians. You know, I'm like, hey. So you're bringing me in for, for my draw, the Italian? Yeah, I, got, oh that's it. I brought you in to try to draw an Italian. I should have been eating my dinner in front of this thing. <laughs> and Italian females. I brought Bob Stockman to try to bring in the Jews, you know. Yeah, we got to get my wife, My wife's Jewish, but that don't help me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, 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 Phil, did you, did, did you watch the, the uh, TV show on the Amazon Gravesend? I did. I did. Oh, the guy the guy who's doing it is a guy by the name of Willie DeMeo. And uh, right. I have right. relatives. I don't know if you know Ellen B. Spumoni Gardens in Brooklyn. Yeah. With that. He, he's in there a lot. And I actually did a little technical work on that one day. There was a scene where there was an FBI, FBI agent outside bugging a, uh, a sit down. And I did the technical work for him on that. But hey, I think Phil, look, the, the chat wants to know if you're going to cook for everyone. I could do a little pasta. And, uh, yeah, it's like in the it's like in the Godfather. He goes, "Let me show you how to cook for a lot, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, you got to yeah. throw the meat when, in. You got to <laughs> when they go to the mattresses. That's right. The second season now. Yeah. What did you think of it, y'all? Yeah, it was all, It was pretty good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got a lot of I got a lot of friends that that are actors in it. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's trying he's trying to fill the void that the Sopranos left. He actually Willie DeMeo worked on the Sopranos. He was in it quite a bit. And, yeah, uh, yeah. So there was uh the day that I worked, there was uh Totoro, uh Nicholas Totoro was uh, 
Nicholas, yeah, the younger brother. He yeah. was in it. He did pretty good. I actually helped him out with a couple of lines. Uh, it was like a sit down, and uh, yeah, it went pretty good. It, it, I think I, last time I saw Willie was a couple of weeks ago, and he said that they're moving along. That they they just finished filming in because uh, they had four episodes done, and then they were moving on to some more episodes. They were out in Florida now. They're coming back this summer. They're going to be shooting in Brooklyn again. Yeah, uh, like I said, uh, Leo Rossi. Uh, my co-host on my podcast uh, is one of the leads in it. Okay. Uh, and they're, they're going to start shooting, I think at uh, uh, August in New York. Yes. 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 Yeah. He was uh, telling me that. Joe, someone asked what was John Booby Sarasani like? Mean. Mean? <laughs> mean. <laughs> yeah. He was a, he was a made guy. I'm not familiar with that. Name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Booby was a made guy. He's a banano guy. Yeah. Uh, Tough guy, tough guy. When uh, when they when they always talk, I always I watch. Sometimes I watch Sammy the Bulls podcast, so I listen to his podcast, and he's always like, you know, he was a tough guy, both with his hands and with a gun. You know, it's like he always makes that yeah, distinction. Bobby just, you know, Bobby was one of these guys. Uh, there was no, uh, everything was straight with him, and what I mean by that was, it you know, he was all business. Uh, I don't know how tough he was. You know, I'm sure he was. I never saw him, but I'm sure he was tough with his hands. But I mean, you know, he was a hitter. He was a hitter. You know, when I, I mean, a shooter. You know, that's what. Right, I mean. right, right. Yeah. Now, yeah. Did, was was some guys overly violent that you were afraid to be around? Maybe one guy, uh, guy by the name of Tony Mira. I he's the he's the guy that brought me into the Bananos. Right. Uh, originally, we became friends. <laughs> He went to the can. He came out of the can, uh, and we became en en enemies when he came out of the can. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, in fact, he he he, he uh, initiated three sit downs against me. Uh, he, he didn't like me so much. He tried to get me killed three times. Tony Mira did. Yeah, yeah. You didn't, you didn't like him either. You said no one liked him, right? Yeah, nobody liked him. I mean, he was a mean guy. I mean, he, he was just totally, he had no, the only redeeming qualities he had one time, he told me he loved his mother, you know. But other than that. Wow. The guy had no redeeming qualities. Hey, uh, hey, Bill, did you see how he just said that, though? When he said that you got to be yourself, he was in the can, he was at it. If I didn't know Joe Pistone who he was, he could easily be a wise guy. I mean, right. I'm that's saying right. that. Honestly, and I've been around a lot of wise guys in my day, you know, and the way he just said that, yeah, he was in the candy. Typical. I mean, that's your personality, Joe. And but uh, you know, he hung out. He hung out in social clubs for six years. He I guess it was a little too long. He didn't pick up those inflections and be like, hey, oh, give me a cappuccino. Oh, hey. I hung out in social clubs growing up, too. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's what you're, you're a product of your shit. environment. That's yeah, what yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, and uh, I'm proud of it too. So, oh, absolutely, absolutely. I got him hanging out in bagel stores now. I'm trying to convert him. <laughs> I know. I could see he has that little yarmulke on now underneath that hat. There <laughs> is you know? he eating locks and cream cheese in the morning? Schmear, <laughs> schmear, come on, will you? Hey, listen, I love lots of cream cheese. No, no, they call it a schmear, right? A schmear of cream cheese. There's nothing wrong with a super sod and mozzarella, but a lox and cream cheese on a toasted bagel, I'll take that too. Hey, Bobby, Bobby guys, Bobby guys are retired. I'm sorry, guys. Bobby guys are retired NYPD detective says, Bill Phillips, a corrupt cop, jailhouse lawyer, hung out with Mira in jail and got him out on appeal. Is that true? Phillips got got Mira out on the appeal. That's what he's saying. Yeah, could be. I, I mean, uh, could be, could be. Well, wait a minute now. Uh, Phillips was in jail. Yeah, he was in. They said he was in jail with him. He was a jailhouse lawyer. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. he, you know, maybe I I, I don't know. Uh, his name never came up. With Mira, you know, in other words, in any conversations I had with Mira, right. Phillips' name never came up. But a funny story you mentioned, Phillips, when he when he uh, came into government government custody, you know, uh, that was before they had the uh, marshals witness protection, and uh, the bureau, you know, the FBI was protect protecting them, and. Uh, 
I was uh, involved in getting him some fake ID and stuff. Yeah, yeah, he was. I only met him once, actually, when I, you know, when we had it, I had to sit down and, and you know, work out stuff to get him his fake ID. And, you know, right. uh, when he went into the bureau's program. Uh, but uh, you could tell the guy was a shyster. I mean, he was he was slick. Do you guys know him? Was he before your time? No, he's he was way before. Oh, he's way before yeah. your time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that would. We're we're only we're in our thirties. Yeah, well, right. <laughs> that, that had to be in the. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, probably around seventy. Early seventies. Early seventies. Uh, I met him in. I think. I think it was in D.C. where where they brought him. But yeah, yeah. But no, hey, Joe, I got a question for you about the movie. It's like a two part question. I'm just kind of interested in this. Were you happy in a whole? Now, I know in the last time that you were on Off the Cuff, uh, you said that you never hit your wife, that they depicted you of doing that in the movie. And I was glad to hear that. Right. But in a whole, were you happy with the way that they depicted you in the movie? And really, the second part is um, they kind of made, you know, uh, Johnny Depp. Like he felt bad for when he had to come out that those guys might get killed. Was that how you felt as well? I mean, you, you obviously had a relationship with these guys. Did you? Yeah. And were you, did you? Were you happy the way that Hollywood depicted you in the film? To a certain extent, yeah. Okay. Uh, several things. I don't think. Well, not that I think. Uh, it, one thing the movie lacked. It really lacked. And, I, and I, I, I'm saying this, you know, you asked me a question. It really lacked the danger. Of, okay. Of, you know, of, of every day with these guys. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, and uh, the, the reason, and, and I questioned that, hey, you know, I'm not lean, leaning toward these guys. And the reason was, you know, Hollywood's reason, look, all the shit we got you doing in this movie, people are not going to like you. So that's how that's how we're going to show that you know uh, that you're basically a decent guy. That you got close to these guys, you you know, you don't mind them going to jail, uh, and you know you feel sorry for some of them. But no, I never, I never. I never felt sorry for anybody. Uh, did I want to see anybody get clipped? No. Uh, did I lose any sleep over anybody getting clipped? No. Uh, and I never had $300,000 in a bag either. <laughs> that, that yeah, was, yeah. That was Hollywood. Because my wife keeps asking me, where's that 300 300 k She wants to go on a shopping spree, right? <laughs> you know, there was something else in the movie, Joe. Somebody told me that. And I um, never saw, we never went to a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Or marriage counseling, none of that. Okay. But the part that Pacino played, and he, he played the part of. Lefty, where he takes his jewelry jewelry off and stuff, but in that real life, Sonny it was Black. actually Sonny. That was actually Sonny Black did that. Yeah, I was told that. I think, I think Bill and I may have talked about this. Is that, I mean, that that's a gangster. That's a gangster. Uh, he knew he was going to get clipped. Right. He call. You know, you got to come to such such an address for a sit down, right? And this was after they found out. They finally realized that I was really an undercover agent. <clears throat> he goes into the bar, the motion lounge, which was our, which is, was our social club, his, you know, his bar. And he takes off his diamond ring. Everything you saw lefty do takes all the money out of his pocket, uh, takes his keys, except the keys to his Cadillac, gives him to Charlie, the bartender, I think his name was Charlie. And said, I just got called to a sit down and I'm probably not coming back. <laughs> I mean, that's a real wise guy. You know, boy. but that's what, like, uh, when you listen to Sammy the Bulls podcast, he goes, he was real Cosa Nostra. And, you know, I always, when I listen to this shit, I go, there is no honor among these guys. None. They talk this horse shit like there's honor, but there really is none. There is no honor because they're all breaking all the rules. Yeah. They're, exactly. they're killing people. They're doing this and that. And then when they're like, oh, 
that's close to Nostra. Like that's, yeah, that's, you know, you know and, and, come and, and, on. Look, you say what you want about John Gotti, but there's another gangster. The guy went away, never, ever said a word. And don't you think they would have cut him a break like they cut Sammy? Of course. <laughs> and Ruggiero. Never cracked. It was on his way to get clipped, and the bureau heard, you know, heard it on the on, on the wire. Stopped him from getting clipped. He went away for 18, 15 or eighteen. Never cracked. I mean, but Joe, when they, when they expect an underling to take a forty year sentence, like uh, a Scarpa's Scarpa's son, right? Yeah, he got forty years. I mean, is that a stand up guy or is that an idiot? Well, hey, <laughs> you know what I mean. Well, is it a stand-up guy or an idiot to go to go to a sit-down and know you're not coming back? <laughs> but that's Cosa Nostra. <laughs> you know, Sammy uses that, and you know he uses that, and it may be may, maybe what he says is true that that wouldn't be Cosa Nostra, but he's not Cosa Nostra because he cooperated. But but he's definitely in the know. You know, I mean, it's obvious he's in the know. A lot of the things that he says in his podcast because I've watched a few of them. They make a lot of sense, and you can see that they're, that they're real, you know? So, I mean, he's doing it. He was there, you know. Uh, but these other guys, you know, they're Cosa Nostra because they didn't crack to me. They're, you know, right. they, they cracked. Yeah, that's yeah, what you know, there, there was a podcast or there was an episode where he's talking about he has to do a hit on this guy. And he's, he's with him in a van for like nine hours, and he – comes to think this guy's the greatest thing since Mickey Mantle, you know, as far as Cosa Nostra. And the guy says to him, you know, when you kill me, he goes, please shoot me in the head. And he goes, and make sure it's a made guy that kills me. And I'm just like, what horse shit? You know what I mean? Like, come on. Like, you're getting killed, dude. What are you He scared? says that he actually introduced the guy to him. Like, what, what happened was when they grabbed that guy, there was a car left at the scene. They didn't have the keys. When they when they, they left the car there and they went back to get it, right, it was that right. period of time. So so when he uh, eventually gets the word, he told the guy, you know, they had him tied up and stuff. He told the guy, you know, we're, we're not sure what's going to happen. They didn't rule on whether you're going to live or die. And, he, you know, the guy started telling him story. And I think the guy had 50 hits under his belt. Yes, and the guy did. tells him. You know, you got you got to make sure a made guy does it, and then he goes on to say that he introduced the guy. This is the guy that's going to do it, and then they killed the guy. You know. Yeah, yeah. So I've never seen any of his stuff. So you know, but yeah. to me, you talk about real gangsters or Cosa Nostra. It's the guys that that either went to the can and didn't say a word, or the guys that got clipped and knew they were going to get clipped. But and- Joe, you're an FBI agent, man. Now you're you're talking about this stand up guy shit. What? <laughs> you're, you're, you're showing respect for the stand-up guy stuff. No, he, of course. Listen, of course, he, he's right. right. Of course, that is. I mean, sure. You know. Listen, it would be like if we were in a situation and, uh, you know, something went down and then a guy goes and tells internal affairs everything that went down, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. You know, yeah. someone from New Zealand, Austin Spriggs says, I'm from New Zealand. I got me a friend watching. Won't believe me that Joe Pistone was Donnie Brasco, still thinks it was all Hollywood. This is the real Joe Pistone. The real deal, man. And baby. we can tell you could, if you saw his sunglasses, there was a certain brand. <laughs> Some people still think landing on the moon was Hollywood, right? That's yeah, true. Yeah, it was yeah. just, yeah. that's right. Going that's back right. to John Gotti for a second, there was the warden of his jail that said when he died, he said he was the toughest individual I ever came across. And obviously all the hardcore uh, inmates went there. But I don't think he was very smart in the way he conducted his business. He was no, a little bit no, not not on the street. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. He, he no, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. He he was too flamboyant. Obviously, brought too much attention to himself. But then he did things that just eventually led to the whole collapse. But That's you got to give him the credit that he was uh, he was a tough guy till the end. He was he was a stand up yep. guy till the end. You got to yep. give him credit for that. Yep. Yep. And there's someone in the chat. Denise Maria says, "Yeah, I really dig those sunglasses for sure." Oh, he's got an admirer now. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, I'll put him on eBay if you want. Just- uh, yeah, they're selling for $500 on eBay. There's a businessman sitting next to Joe Pistone. There's a businessman there. He's going to put the glasses on his eBay. I like that. My, my Jewish friend. The yes, he's a, he's a real businessman. I like we, that. Both of us, we can't get nothing. The only thing he gets is free T-shirts. If I go to a basketball camp, 
or I go to my son, like with the Hawks, I always got to get two things. One got to be for Joe. One got to be for me. Good man. Good friend. And, and, you know, and we're, we're not on a job, so we can take the free. The free. Yeah, you can take the, the free. Yeah. Right? You know, uh, Scott, the inquirer asked me, may, uh, may please ask Joe a question. What now it just popped out of there. What enjoyable things did you do when you finally came home to real life? And what things enjoyable did you do with your family that you didn't do, obviously, when you were away for six years? Well, enjoyable things. I went uh, fishing because I like to fish. So I, I did a lot of fishing and uh, <clears throat> went and watched the kids uh, play soccer and, uh, and swim. Joe, when you went home and uh, like, when dinner was on the table, were you pissed because it wasn't hot? Because <laughs> <laughs> I know Italian guys get crazy with that shit. No. <laughs> my wife, she's she's, got, she's watching this and she's gonna break my. He came and I was like, "Hey, it's not hot. Hey, yeah, but you've been gone for six years. But hey, it should be hot." I'm the only guy that takes hot pasta and puts it in the microwave because it's not hot enough. Oh my god! Oh my god! Nah, no, nah, I tell you what. I'm easy, man. The the only thing, just don't just don't feed me raw onions. That's it. <laughs> oh, now you guys, you guys are best buddies now, right? You guys hanging out all the time together. Well, whenever we're you know whenever we're in the same state, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm when it. I go when I go down south to that old unknown state you guys live in, I'm gonna meet you guys for dinner one night. All right. Yeah, bring good. that credit card, that man. Sounds like a great <laughs> idea. Look at this. You're trying to hit up the police off the cuff with the five dollar super chats. They're trying to take <laughs> my super chat money. Yeah, maybe we could like sell some autographed pictures or That's something. That's right. I, I will we'll sell your books for an hour before we yeah. go have dinner. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of food do you like, Joe? You know, it's got to be Italian, right? I mean, you ever hear anybody say, let's go out for Irish? No, never, never. Or let's I, go out for Jewish. I love, that's my favorite food. Yeah. My favorite food is I'm sorry, yeah. Let's go for a pastrami sandwich or, 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 or deli. But Joe, anyway. did I see an Irish clatter ring on your finger in one of the pictures that I saw? Yeah. The, yeah. Is, is that your wife? Your wife's Irish? Yes, yes. Okay. Yes. Thank you, Joe Murray, for that 1999 Super Chat. And thank you, Soul Sister, for the 999. I will take these guys out to dinner. Thank you, guys. When I go to Florida... <laughs> I know they're not there, but maybe they'll be there one day, and I'll take these two guys out to dinner. We'll meet you Only in the Bronx if I'm going to wear sunglasses so no one recognizes me. You know? I'll meet you in the Bronx again. I told Joe how nice yeah, that was. The, the Bronx is dangerous. No, when you showed up that time. That was nice of you. Yeah. That was, hey, it was great to see you, man. It's, yeah, I'm glad uh, you got to meet. You know, it's so, you know, guys, we're actually at 57 minutes. We usually try to keep this at about an hour. Not because we don't want to be with you guys longer than that, but because people don't want to listen for that long. <laughs> and it's, uh, I mean, that's that's what they tell you in podcast school, right, Joe? Yeah. Yeah. Keep it, keep it down to 45 minutes to an hour, right? Yeah. That, I understand. I guess it, it's, that's why they try to keep it to like 35, 40. People yeah. listen to, you know, maybe 13 to 14 minutes, and then they'll come back later on and, and finish up. But you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, final words, Bob. Yes, like Starkman. <laughs> they go right through, man. They I told you, he's riding my coattails. I told you I last. <laughs> Bob, any let's give Bob Starkman some final last words. No, just thanks for having us on. It's oh, it's, it's fantastic to have you guys on. Joe, you got any last words? We appreciate we appreciate what you guys did, your time on the PD. And uh, thanks for having us on here. And you got a great show. You well, got thank you so show. much. And uh, my buddy Phil Grimaldi from uh, Gravesend. That's right. From <laughs> Gravesend, Brooklyn. Joe, I got to tell you, it's an honor to be on with you, to have met you. Uh, it really is something. You, you did something in law enforcement that no one else has done. And I think that you now teaching it is the experience that you have is, is going to be invaluable to the future of undercovers. And Bob, you got a great story with uh, being in the uh, customs and then, uh, uh, a premier basketball coach. So I just, I'm honored to be amongst such great people. And uh, thanks our for coming pleasure. on. Appreciate pleasure. it. Thank you. It's our thanks. pleasure. 100%. Uh, look, I got to interview you once, to interview you twice is like me uh, 
be, be taking roids and hitting home runs, you know? Wait for the hat trick. Yeah, yeah. it's like, almost like, like a grand slam to me. Yeah, like a, but I'm going to come down to Florida, and I know you guys aren't there, but I'll call the bat phone. I'll say, meet me for dinner. I got I had a really good uh, super chat week. <laughs> they, they, they're throwing money at me. I'll take you guys out to dinner. All right? <laughs> That's right. good. Take care. Thanks. It's so nice. Good. Okay, guys. And for all you police off the cuff fans, thank you so much for listening, and uh, have a great night. Take Stay care. Stay safe, everybody. You too. God bless.